Thanks, James. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the table. My name is Matt Mulberry. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, come on through. It's good to see you. Hi. We're here. Good. Sunday night. Good to see you. My guy Rapons is here. It makes everything good, even when it feels a little off. When I see RP in the house, I know we're going to be okay. Uh, one, number one thing we always say in this space in the worship program that we put on here on Sunday nights, before we get to the sermon or we dive anything into thought he was going to take out my water there. He didn't. We're okay. We want to make it plain. and We want to be redundant. We want you to hear that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. I will never stop saying that. It will never stop meaning something to me when I say it. Because I ultimately think that when we talk about gospel, when we talk about integrating good news, when we talk about trying to pursue flourishing for ourselves, for our city, for others, Anything that is good is rooted in the fact that you need to know that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. We're in a series. It's called Do I Stay or Do I Go Now? Um, because we thought that's what the Clash were singing in the 60s. It's a, sh it, Maggie told us that's what the Clash were singing in the 60s. It's a should I stay or should I go now? And so that's our error. Uh, we won't change it. We've come too far. Ultimately, in this series, is we are trying to ask, like, what, what is the point? What is the aim? Do we, do we try to, should we be Christian and follow the ways of Jesus inside of a Christianity that doesn't always do the same? At least, like, when we sit from where we are, as we try our very best, making space for all the kinds of errors that we are making along the way. As we try our very best to be faithful to the scriptures and to the story of Christ as we perceive it for us our, ourselves today, 2,000 years removed from the man walking the earth, do I stay in this story or do I go now? We've pitched different reasons why we're a yes. We've talked about how it's founded on the life of Jesus, which is, it has no parallel. This empathetic life, this, this catalytic life, this life that has had the largest impact in human history on all the rest of history. We've talked about our reasons for the yes. Now we're shifting into how do we go about this though. If we're going to stay in here, what does it look like to actually stay? What does it look like to actually remain inside of a tradition that is edifying, benevolent, generous? What does it look like to be a part of that good news that we've long heard about, we've long seen expressed, but now we need to actually embody Maybe ultimately the question that we were asking is like, what is the point of religion at all, right? You've heard me go on like my um, uh, diatribes sometimes when I've walked in here and, and I've started a sermon and I've like, my eyes have been up on the stained glass and be like, you guys ever just pause, consider the world you are in, your personal story inside of it and go like, what are we doing here exactly? Is our role to be preservationists of the past where we keep what was intact and just pass along the stories to our kids and do the dance and say the lines and memorize the creeds and the codes and the verses and everything in between? Or is there a reason that we are carrying these with us today? What is the point of religion? This is a question that came my way a couple of years ago when I did a wedding in Montana. Gorgeous. Have you guys ever been to Montana, by the way? Like, I was a first-time visitor over there. I was, I'm not big on going outside in general, except on days like today. I just don't see what is so great about the great outdoors. But Montana is like, how about this? You know, like, what about that? You think that's, that's pretty nice? And, and like, point taken, it is very nice in Montana. I did this wedding. I officiated it. And after it, in the reception time, when I was, there was this moment where I was going up to get food. And I was in line, and this big guy came up, and he, like, bear-hugged me. I don't know him. I don't know if you bear-hug strangers, but I would advise you not to do so like this man did here. 
bear hugs me. And to bring you inside the room, like he was about 6'1", 6'2", mohawk cocked to the side, smelled a little bit like bacon. And conservatively, I would guess he had about 13 or 14 mojitos in him at this point. And I'm only like gauging that by the fact that he was very excited to see me in that moment. And very few people are. It felt great, by the way. Like if you're in need of some like self-esteem boost or just like overall confidence lifter, go find the mojito man as soon as you possibly can because he will do just that for you. Guy grabs me and he looks at me and goes like, yeah, pastor. Now you think when he says pastor, it's going to dictate some of the things he said. He goes, man, just a great message. Just a great message. And I, I looked at him and I said, well, I worked really hard at it. So I really appreciate you right now, man. And he goes like, yeah, I just like it. Touched something, it moved me. And I thought he was going to pontificate further upon some of the things that I said inside of the message. But instead he goes, now I just got to ask you a question. I'm not a big church person. I wouldn't necessarily like introduce myself to the general public as somebody who is religious. So what's really the point of it all? What is the point of religion? As an outsider looking in, what is the reason why people gather? I'm assuming you do church on Sunday nights. Why do they gather? Why do we sit? Why are you in relationship with people inside of a spiritual? What is the point of religion? That holds you accountable to answer honestly. Because in here I can say, well, let's remember that Hebrew said to not give up on gathering. And it's important that we meet regularly and we encourage and equip each other. All valid, all have their place. But this man who does not know Hebrews, who's outside of the church and is outside of all things religious, asked me, what is the point of religion? And if I'm honest, what I said to him was, you know, I've thought about this before. Best guess, could be wrong. I think it has to do with connection. Connecting with the ground of our being, our higher power, God. And connecting me and you and me and me. Neighbors and selves. It's about connection. I thought about that for some reason this morning when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about tonight. And I think I would stand by that answer by and large. I think I would tell him that it still is about connection. I would elaborate further though because it's not just about connection. Because connection is also about desire. Desire is what the whole thing runs upon. Religion runs on desire. I almost, you can make the argument that everything runs on desire. It's the heartbeat of all things. It's the gas inside the car that is life. It's the baby that immediately once it leaves the mother's womb is reaching into the air because it senses some lack that it does not know but feels it all the same. Desire is in our ambition. Desire is in our angst. Desire is in the thing that pulls us out of the bed in the morning. Desire can't be requested. Desire can't be denied. It is what it is. It really is the is. Desire is the thing that pulsates all things. It move, makes us move towards somebody in love. It makes us pull back also in fear of loss, hardship, pain. Desire is in all things. It's that ever-present push that pulsates in our bodies, looking for that one thing that goes by many different names. Now, some might call it love. Others might call it peace. Some might call it joy. Others might call it justice. Some might call it a sense of belonging, while others call it a sense of beauty. Whatever you want to call it, we're all trying to lay claim to it. We're all trying to reach that place where we meet some sense of sufficiency, where all we have is actually here. Not just known in our heads, but felt in our bodies. Desire is that thing that pulls us to look for it. But its grasp is always going a little bit further than our reach. 
I always think about Bono, and I think about him scribbling out paper when he's talking about this very thing, and he's going to town going like, this thing, I know I'm, I believe in Jesus, I'm for Jesus, I get all that, but like there's something that is moving me to go to these great extents where I'm going to climb every peak and scale every wall and run through all of the fields just to be with you, just to find that thing, just to finally land in this place of sufficiency and enough, but I, I still can't find what I'm looking for. I went to A, they told me to go to B. They promised me that C would eventually like, give me everything I need, but I got to C and I still don't feel like I've arrived, and so I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have done everything that I'm supposed to be doing, but the lack lives on. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm always left looking, always hoping that if I just do my part, then I will find my peace. To which I would just want to pose to you tonight as we think about how do we stay Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian today? What is one of our core pieces of what it means to be a participant in this faith tradition? I would pose that maybe that is part of the problem. I'm not that guy that can cite for you some kind of like encyclopedia of history nor science, but can I just try real quick? Let me lean into my notes here. Because what I find interesting is I was thinking about this this, this morning and thinking about this very much, even this song, I have done this, I have climbed the peaks, I've scaled the city walls, I've gone, I've played my part. Maybe that is the problem. It's interesting, in 1687, Isaac Newton, he puts out his like monumental work, Principia. Changes everything that we know about the nature of the universe. Principia sets out to take us from this enchanted world where things were a lot more porous. The outside world would seep into you and you into the outside world to say, actually, if you want to understand the life that you are in, ambiguities and all, it kind of works like a clock. It kind of works like a machine. You pull a lever, you get the thing. You push the button, you get the thing. It, this is how the thing works. If you understand the whole of it all, you have to understand the parts of it all. Became this very like machine-like understanding of how the whole thing is working. Broken down into four algebraic rules that define what is life, what isn't life, how do we get the thing going. From a God perspective, it is this understanding that God put things into motion, the clock started ticking, and the thing kept on ticking. And so the only way that the thing keeps happening the way that it's supposed to keep happening is, Chris, if you do your part, Debbie, you do your part. Each of us do our part and the whole thing will keep going. Now, if you don't do your part, Bill, we can tweak it. Because it's a machine, and machines have predictable problems. So there's a troubleshooting section at the back of the tutorial, and you can look at it, and that thing that is the problem, we can clean it up, we can fix it, we can redeem it, we can replace it, we can do what we need to do to fix that part, but it's not actually going to affect the whole because the whole is a machine that's going to keep on ticking. It keeps on going. I think about this when Bono sings about I because it really is broken down into that. According to the Newtonian understanding of the world and the way the humans responded to Principia and the work that he put out, it quickly became this collective us and broke down instead to you, me, I. When there was an us, there also was a them. Very tribalistic, parts driven, pieces, but not the whole. And that line of thinking still stands for us today. I mean, we talked about it all summer, you guys, right, with Eric Mitten's book, It's Not You, It's Everything. 
But that is the line of thinking that leads to so much of the sickness in society. If you have a kid that is acting out according to whatever you define to be acting out, you take him to the therapist and you say, can you fix my child? The moment, though, that your therapist starts asking about the health of the family, you start to find a new therapist. If you see a mom who is selling crack on the corner to feed her kids, put her in jail and punish that mom. But don't ever ask what about like society and how society has been punishing her. I watched 11 Minutes, Paramount Plus. I was just telling Debbie about this on the Las Vegas shooting. One of the things they talked about at the end of the footage when they go through all the different accounts, they say one of the biggest problems that are driving our society is that after the mass shootings, immediately they put the name of the shooter out there and give them exactly what they want. But that is exactly what we want. Can we at least know the shooter, isolate the problem to one individual part so we don't have to deal with the systemic level of things? Can we demonize the shooters so we don't have bigger questions about the shootings? Can we make it about this so we don't have to ask the bigger questions about that? Can we, can we actually believe that Newtonian clockwork universe, the one that was presented to us in Principia, that that's actually how it works? That there is nothing wrong with a whole that cannot be fixed by tinkering with the parts. There is no such thing as a whole because the individual is the fundamental university of reality. Let me just try to break this down because I don't want to get abstract and lose anybody. A couple years back, four or five now, we did, um, there was a series that we were running at church and we are talking about different racism and the manifestations of white supremacy in the city of Minneapolis and we talked about power and the way that power is played out subconsciously and, and, and named it in all the different ways that we possibly could. I remember after one of the times that we did this, one of the sessions that we had in the bottom of Knox Church, an older gentleman came up to me and he said like, I feel like you want me to feel bad. I didn't own any slaves. I feel like you want me to feel bad. I didn't own any slaves. Now, I don't know if I responded in the best way because I didn't know how to go into like, well, you weren't really around at that time. We're not old enough to, you, you don't know how you respond to this opportunity. But hear what he is saying, because there's a deeper rally that I understand. I am not an evil part. I am not a failed, broken piece of this machine. So what do I possibly have to do with the failure of the machine? <laughs> the machine failed, okay. My part? It didn't. This is functioning the way it's supposed to function. My part has done its part. My part has played its role. Why would I feel bad about the failure of a machine when I did the part that I was cast to play? Well, because you said you were a Christian. See, out of the gates in the Christian reality, when you look at like even just the early church and, and the main like articulation of what it means to be a Christian, right away Paul sets out of the gates and he destroys this myth of separation where you can separate part from whole. This myth that like what happens to them doesn't matter to you. What happens to you doesn't matter to them. Paul writes this glorious ode in Roman 8 that is all to the end of separation. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what level of separation you think is existing that keeps you from actually having to engage with what matters the most, good, bad, or somehow otherwise. It's not real. It's a myth of separation. Paul is redundant about this. In 1 Corinthians 12, when he sets out to try to explain to a group of people who are living in the aftermath of Christ's crucifixion 
and the stories of the resurrection. It's a question of like, so what does it mean? What are we right now? We're no longer just following our teacher. We're not really just like in the, the shadows of our rabbi. So what exactly are we? Paul says, well, the best way I could sum it up for you, let me use an image that you are already quite familiar with. He says that for just as the body is one and has many members, your body has spleen, liver, heart, mouth, hair, eyes, ears. There's many I'm forgetting because there's not all that we're fully aware of. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul says that the church is a body. You and I and us and they and them, all people, we're body. Paul later would say that like we live and move and have our being inside of God, inside of the Christ. Myth of separation busted wide open. Body. Separation is a myth. You and I, we are a body. The many tied up in the one. Individual parts tied up in the flourishing of all. What you do impacts who I am because who I am is a part of who we are. Paul says that when one of us suffers, we all suffer together. When one of us is honored, all the rest of us rejoice. And the only reason why I think we can nod our heads politely, <laughs> myself included, and go like, yeah, oh, that's a nice thought. I don't really care. It's because we don't actually feel it. It's not really a, a really, uh, in our Newtonian worldview, the seeds that Principia pl planted and the trees that we now live under, we are not like actually engaging with the reality that Paul is putting forth. And so you might suffer, you might get a, somebody might hit you on your arm, but I won't feel a bruise. You might get a promotion at work, but that does nothing to change my standard of living. Separation is the law of the land. What is happening to you actually doesn't really impact me. So says our understanding of how things work. But what's interesting is when you actually take into account what Paul is saying, and you think about like, if Paul is using this as a metaphor, it doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't say like, Maggie, you are like the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ, period. And so you have a choice, then do you just dismiss Paul? Or do you consider whether or not, maybe Paul's not just talking about it metaphorically. Maybe he's also talking about it metaphysically. So says science today. All the cutting edge research that we are finding about the subatomic levels of all things. How what happens to you really does impact what happens to me. My choices are not individual nor isolated from your life. We're actually all tied up in this thing together. It's no longer some like fairy tale thing that was spouted off once by mystics long ago. We are finding out again and again, and it's breathtaking how we are actually all in this thing together. Whether we are fully aware of it or not. I'm not aware of all the things that are happening in my body. You're not aware of all the things that are happening in your body until it goes awry. But it's all serving the purpose of one flourishing body. What happens to you does indeed happen to me. On the quantum level, what happens to you does happen to me. I'm not going to even, Mark, I will not try to go further on that right there. But we cannot miss that because when we ask questions about how do we stay Christian, if we don't shift our desires, what I want, to a place of what actually we need, we will destroy our planet and destroy each other along the way. No ambiguity about it. 
But if the gospel is actually good news for all of mankind, if it actually is here to present some other paradigm outside of this clockwork universe, which scientists themselves are saying is actually more like a body than it is a clock, then this is what we have to make the paradigm happen. How do we take what, if, what matters to us and intimately and intentionally tie it to what matters to you? I mean, we were talking about this before. That's why I actually stagger because I'm like, oh, yeah. because like sometimes I'm going to be good at that. Most of the time I'm not going to be good at that. What I want most is typically going to trump what I cared you, about you needing the most. But this is like why last week when I talked about transcending and including, how you don't have to leave Christianity because you're disgusted or belittled by the form that you are in, but you can take the form and bring it with you as you go to where God's bringing you next. In the same way, the point of gathering as a people, the point of tradition, the point of singing these songs with Christian, even if like you are like, I don't even know if I believe in the theology that Christian is espousing, he is inviting you into a space where you can close your eyes and get beyond yourself and sing next to somebody that you do not know and hold a holy reverence for where you are. All of a sudden you go from an I to an us. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, it's I to us. The only way we can stay Christian is the shift from an I to us. And this is what the prophets, the mystics have said all along. Let me close with just this quote that has always shaken me. It's from my favorite pastor, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was asked to sum it all up, to break it all down, to break down not just the layers of white supremacy and how to manifest into our country and all of the marginalization and oppression that is on display all the time. He goes, you know, if you were really to boil it down, all of life, it's interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one destiny affects all indirectly. It's supposed to be whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I know you guys, this is woo-woo-ish. This is like, it's, it's there. I know it. Again, like I said last week, though, my job in this space is not to give you some final word because this is a space you can't give a final word. But I do want this to send you off to think about what does it look like for us as a people to lean into one another as individuals and remind that us as individuals, we are part of a people. And so what is happening in your life, it matters to mine. And what I do with my time, my energy, my attention, the choices that I make. There are consequences that are not just for me alone. They also impact you. We have to make that shift from small to wide. Does that make sense? Honestly, it's 5.37 right now. Is there anything I said that was weird? Because let me just, because I know it's really confusing. I know this is. Like, it's complicated and weird. But talk to me after if you don't come to it now. Pray with me right now. Jesus, you are good. God, you are you are um, uh, the thing between all things, Lord. You're the pulse that energizes all things. You are not this disconnected being that pulls the string, God. You just might be the string that pulls us all with you as we go. The author of wholeness, the lover of complete imposters and shams. Lord, you are the one who has the whole world in your hands and still there's room left over. Always turning us from a you and me and them into an actualized us. God, help us concretize this understanding of the way the world actually works. We are not isolated parts. 
we are a part of the whole. Help us understand in our own lives what the implications of that reality actually mean. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matt referred to this a few times that we had been talking about this because it's a topic that I think we struggle with because we definitely live in an I culture. Sometimes as best as our intentions are, we end up in the I and not in the we. But we follow a Jesus who said clearly that the greatest commandments are to love God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's a we thing. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is a we thing. And I was thinking as Matt was talking that here at the table, while we aspire to practice the ways of Jesus and be an inclusive community, um, you never quite know what's going to happen on a Sunday night. But one thing you can always count on is communion. And the reason the practice of communion is so important to us as a community is because it connects us as the we. It reminds us that we are in this together, not only here in this community, but across the world, people are gathering together and taking communion. The remembering this Jesus, this Jesus that calls us to love one another, to be in it together. During the music, we invite you to come forward and there'll be someone here with bread and someone here with the cup of juice. And you can take that bread and dip it into the cup and you'll hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. If you're not quite ready for that, there'll also be someone with the individual cups. You can hear those same words and you can take those cups back to your pew and take the wafer and the juice. The night before Jesus died, he sat with his own table, at his own table with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup, and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood, and it's shed for you. It's the new covenant for everyone, for the us, for the we. When you drink from this cup, remember me. And that's what we do. As you come forward, we remember that we are in it together, and we've had those moments, and we've glimpsed those moments of what it feels like to be a we, the rightness and the goodness in it. So if you can, please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Last night I, was, um, I had the unthinkable happen. I lost my father in Gulf. I don't want to talk about it. Don't ask any follow-up questions. It is what it is. Put me in a dark place. Um, I don't think this is connected to that, but on my way home... I had my first ever, like, full-blown hijacking 
panic attack where like my chest tightened. I had to pull over to the side of the road. I could not believe, I could not breathe. And uh, one of the scariest moments I've had in a long time. And I went to the doctor that night, last night. And the doctor, they put you on like all the different things. They check out your blood, they check out your heart, they do an x-ray of your chest, they do all these different pieces and bada bing, bada boom, that's as far as I know. But as we're singing those last songs about remembering who we are here, and you think about the work of the Spirit and the consistent question of the Spirit being, show me where it hurts the most. And asking questions like, how do you want to live from here on out? I do think that is a beautiful image for us as a church, for the big C church to carry forward. This mindfulness of we are a body. We're not individual toes, nor fingers, nor ears, nor mouths. We are a body. And what impacts me is directly tied to the flourishing of all. And so consistently, I need to scan that body, check on that body, make sure that everything is happening. And if something is wrong where it should be right, what are we going to do about it next? Paul says that Christ is working in all, through all, for all. May we have the courage to also do the same. Will you close your eyes and hold out your hands as you remember who you are? Friends, no matter who you are, what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday.